Bibles or your app or however you're going to read the Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, again, just slip your hand up. Uh, Gary will uh, uh, grab you uh, a copy. We're going to be using, if you are using an app and you want to follow along in the version I'll be using, it's the CSB, uh, short for Coastal Sunshine Bible. And so um, we're going to be using the CSB. Uh, before that, I want to talk to you about another book, a landmark book that was published in, I think, 1988. Uh, its description boasted that it would real, reveal the findings of years of research, thousands of interviews, and when people got their hands on this, they would have their minds opened to the wisdom of the most intelligent and wise people in the world on this subject. It is the landmark 30th anniversary edition I have here of Everything That Men Know About Women. Um, my parents had a copy of this growing up, and it was very formative for me in my relationships because you open the book, and some of you have seen this, right? And it's just blank, right? <laughs> it's just blank. Everything Men Know About Women. There's, there's nothing. You could use this as a journal or a notebook. Write your prayers down, right? But this, this, this is the wisdom of the world on our relationships, everything men know about women. It's a blank bunch of hundred blank pages. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't really get the joke. They'd show, my parents, uh, who are here this morning, I'm not going to point them out, but they're right here. Um, <laughs> they would um, show people this book, and they would show it, and people would laugh, and I'm like, I, I just, I knew it was supposed to be funny, but I didn't get it. Well, now I've been married 11 years, and now I get it. It's, it's I understand um, because relationships are so often a mystery. It's so often a mystery. Like, how does this work? How does this work? This, this, last week we talked about Google searches. That if you type why is into the Google search bar, and then you type a relationship. Why is marriage? Why is parenting? Why is friendship? Why is singleness? You type any relationship into Google after the words why is, and the first or sometimes the second option is, are the words, so hard. Why is this so hard? Why is marriage so hard? Why is parenting so hard? Why is friendship so hard? Why is being single so hard? We, we, we know that good relationships are the best thing in our lives. A good relationship, there's nothing sweeter than a good relationship. And there's nothing worse than a soured relationship. Relationships have the capacity to make our lives absolutely amazing or absolutely miserable. And when we look in the scripture, we see, and I don't want to be too flippant and like Jesus juke you. You know what a Jesus juke is, right? When someone says something like, and then someone like pivots in a very awkward way to Jesus. Um, that although this is sort of a gag gift book, everything men know about women by supposedly by this expert author and interviews and research, there is a book and there is an author with the wisdom you need on this subject. And, and what we see in, in the scripture and what we see in the Bible is that Jesus provides us with a blueprint for the most important relationships in our lives. And so we're going to be kind of jumping from Mark chapter 12. I know, oh, everyone's been waiting for me to tell you what passage we're going to be in, Mark chapter 12, but we're not going to be there very long. Then we're going to go to Luke 10. Then we're going to go to James 5. So if you're you know, wanting to get where we're going, you can kind of, kind of have a, a heads up. He provides us with a blueprint of what healthy relationships can look like, what healing and health for our relationships 
can look like. So let's, before we get any further, let's pray and ask God to bless uh, us as we open up his word and that he would open his word up to our hearts and open our hearts up to his word. Our Father in heaven, we just ask that you would open us up to show us what you want us to see. Not, um, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Not what we're necessarily expecting to hear, but what we need to hear. Lord, that you would just um, have freedom to, to renovate our hearts. Um, Lord, that you would edit me as I speak by your spirit. That your spirit would have freedom to say uh, what you want to be said. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Bible is Old and New Testaments, right? And there's, in the beginning of the New Testament, there are four biographical portraits of Jesus from four slightly different perspectives. And three times in the Gospels, the biographical stories of Jesus called the Gospels or the Good News according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are three times this question comes up about what is the most important command. There in Mark 12, we see in verse 28, uh, one of the scribes approached, and he says, what is the most important command? This is, if God is real and if really, has really spoken to us, then there's nothing more important than this question. And, and Jesus goes there to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here, the sermon is up on the website, and you can listen to it. And what Jesus says is the first and great command is what most Jews would have agreed was the first and great command in that context, and that is to listen, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we talked about last week, counterintuitively, that often the problem with our relationships, first of all, our relationship with God is, one, we might be loving ourselves too much, two, we might be loving other people too much, or three, we might be trying to love God too much. But what Jesus shows us here is we must listen to God. Who is God? What has he said? What has he done? When we see what he has done for us in sending his son, a father who has sent his son to die for sinners, that we can begin to have our hearts spurred on to love him in return. When, when this gets sorted out, Jesus shows us as he continues in Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in verse 31, Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a quote, not from Deuteronomy, but from Leviticus. Now, I know if, if, if you know anything about the Bible and you've studied the Bible at all, that Leviticus is probably your favorite book of the Bible. It's the book that when you think of the scripture and I just want to get my quiet, get my coffee in the morning and have some time with Jesus, you're like, I'm going to get into Leviticus this morning. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Leviticus is a book that I'm being a little bit sarcastic because it's a book that's full of all sorts of these seemingly outdated regulations, like you can't trim your beard or you can't eat certain types of meat. And it's, 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 it seems a little dry sometimes when you try to read through it. But what we find is at the heart of this book is this second greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. That all of the commands of Leviticus, by the way, are about being uh, the people of God in a relationship with a holy God and what that means for our relationships with him and with the other people. And the, the summary of that is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as we, as we dive into this, I mentioned at the beginning of the service, I know there's all sorts of people here. 
And some of you, like, you believe the Bible, you study the Bible, you trust the Bible. Some of you, maybe you feel a little intimidated by the Bible, but you kind of are curious. Or maybe you're just, you're completely like, I don't think, I think this just, it's a made-up book, it's full of contradictions. Wherever you are on that spectrum, really the challenge is really the same. And that is just, just to be open, to be open to what you're going to hear. And say, is this, does this make sense? And even to pray, God, help me to, to, to understand. And if this is true, to actually believe and act on what I'm going to hear. In this one sentence, five words in English. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summarizes God's plan and his remedy for the healing of our relationships and the health of our relationships. When Moses wrote this down, 1,500 years before Jesus, that's 3,500 years ago. That's a long time. It was revolutionary then. When Jesus quoted it 2,000 years from today, 2,000 years ago today, from today, it was revolutionary then too. And it is revolutionary as we stand here. And this could revolutionize the world. It could revolutionize your world. It could revolutionize your relationships. It could revolutionize your marriage, your family, your, your parenting, your singleness, your friendships, your neighborhood. So we got to answer two questions. The first question is who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? We're going to go now to the gospel according to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So one book over. And in chapter 10, there's a similar conversation. Now, it's a little bit different because this time, um, this expert in the law asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 10, 25. And, and Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And now the expert, he gets it right. He nails it. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, Luke 10, 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The man says, but want, and it says, the man wanting to justify himself asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, this is not an unimportant question. This is a question about, it is life and death. This is a question about eternal life. There was a, an old uh, theologian named St. Augustine. That's where, by the way, St. Augustine, Florida, uh, got its name. St. Augustine. He lived uh, in the 400s A.D., so a really long time ago. And he said that if you do not have hope of immortality, you cannot be truly happy. Here's why. If your life is happy, but you know it's going to end, then it diminishes your happiness and you're not fully and truly happy. Or if you're not really worried about your life ending, you're just like, YOLO, it's all right, whatever, then how happy can your life be if you don't really care if it ends? The only third option is that you just live in denial and you pretend like you just ignore the prospect of death. But what he says is, if, unless you have the hope of eternal life, you will never experience true and full happiness. And so this is what's at stake here. It is life and death. It is, will you have a happy life at stake in this question? Will you live eternally? Will you be happy now and joyful now and joyful then? 
And it's the key to our relationships. It's the key to your marriage. It's the key to your parenting. It's the key to your friendships. It's the key to your season of singleness, whether you've never been married, whether you've been widowed, whether you're, you're divorced, or, or what, wherever your season might be, this is the key. Now notice what he says in verse 29. It's a famous interaction. He says, and who is my neighbor? So, so yes, okay. Who is my neighbor? Who, who do I really need to love? And what, what's the story that Jesus tells him? It's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? A man goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's beat up. And there is first, well, really two religious leaders. Like if this would be modern day, someone's driving through uh, the hood and they get carjacked and they get beat up. They're lying on the road. Their car is stolen. And then like a pastor drives by and you know, he's got a pretty nice car and he sees the guy. He's like, well, I don't really want to get blood on my seat and it's kind of messy and I don't want, you know, maybe he's faking and he just keeps going. And then another religious leader goes by and he says, oh, I just, I'm, I, you know, if I stop, they might get me too. And he keeps going. And then a, a poor man in a beat up 1992 Chevy Lumina pulls over and he says, man, this guy needs help. And he takes him, he takes him, you know, to, he goes to Broward North, he takes him to the ER and he says, this guy, you know, his wallet's stolen, I have no idea who he is, I don't know if he has insurance, but hey, here's my credit card and uh, whatever you need, just charge it to my account. I'm going to, this guy needs help and I, I want to be the one to help him. And Jesus says, who is the neighbor in that scenario? And, and the expert in the law says, the one who showed him compassion or mercy. So what's the point of that? Sometimes people make the point of that story, uh, everyone is your neighbor, which is, okay, in some ways that's true, but actually Jesus is making a more important point. The point Jesus is making is the person who God has put near you in that moment is your neighbor. Your neighbor is whoever God has put near you in that moment, in the season you're in. Literally, a neighbor means a near one. Someone who is near to you. Someone who is close to you. Martin Luther said, I think this quote's going to be on the screen. The Christian is supposed to love his neighbor. And since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. Who is your neighbor? Well, it doesn't stop with the person in the bed next to you. But it's, that's where it starts. Being a neighbor starts with the people God has put closest to you in this world. If you're married, it starts with your husband or your wife. If you've got kids, it starts with your kids. If, if you have deep friendships, it starts with your friendships. It starts with your church community. It starts with the people God has put close to you. And yes, the people who literally live next door to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is your network of your most important relationships. Your neighbor is your wife. Love your wife as yourself. Your neighbor is your son. Love your son as yourself. Your neighbor is your brother. Love your brother as yourself. Your neighbor is your friend. Love your friend as yourself. Your neighbor is the person in the cubicle next to you. Love your co-worker as yourself. Your neighbor is literally your next door neighbor. Love your next door neighbor as yourself. The point I'm making is this. That your most cherished relationships are included in this command. That your most important relationships are included in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Love starts at home. Loving your neighbor starts at home. 
But of course, it doesn't stop at home. The problem with our relationships sometimes is that we're so focused on those relationships that it becomes this cycle and we, cannot, we can't seem to get out. It's like trying to wash you know, the window with a, with a dirty rag. It just keeps getting it dirty. It doesn't help anything. And what, what we see in the Bible is that loving your neighbor starts at home, but if it stops at home, you're not going to have healing and health in your relationships. And, and, and here's, here's what we see. You can't do relationships alone. You can't do relationships alone. You can't invest in your most important relationships on, on, on your own in, just, in, in terms of just those relationships. You need to invite others in. You need to invite others into your relationships. You need community. You can't have healing and you can't have health in your marriage or in your parenting, in your friendships, in your singleness. You can't have what God intends for you if you focus just on those relationships. It must start there, but it can't stop there. You need two communities. You need the triune community of the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You need God involved in your relationships. And you also need other people involved. You need to get other people involved in your relationships. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of set a foundation this morning for how to start to do that. And then in the two weeks after this, we're going to start to look at some very practical ways to invest in the healing and the health of your most important relationships based on what Jesus has laid out for us here in what is called the great commandment, love God and love others. First, get God involved. Get God involved. Talk to Here's here's the first thing I think that that is going to be revolutionary, and you're probably already doing this, or maybe not. Talk to the Lord about the people you love. Talk to the Lord about the people you love. Uh, Tyler is reading a book for the pastoral residency called A Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller. And it's a beautiful book on prayer. If you're looking for a good book on prayer, this is is the one I would recommend. Just full of grace, and it makes you want to pray. Not feel guilty that you don't pray, but it makes you want to pray. And one of the things he talks about in that book is he, how he has learned to talk to God about the situations in his relationships before he tries to talk to the people in those relationships. Like if his, if, if his kid's having a problem, rather than like, hey, man, get, get it together. Like, what's wrong? Or, or if there's a tension in his marriage to begin to go to the Lord and talk to the person who can actually fix the problem. You know, don't, now, don't, what I'm about to say, don't hear me saying this as, as sort of a, 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 a tirade against counseling or therapy. Uh, because I think in many cases it's really important. My wife is a trained marriage and family therapist. And I've actually, I've personally, I've gone to counseling before. And many of you may have gone to counseling before. Counseling is good and important. Therapy is often critical uh, for our relationships and our own mental health. So what I'm saying is not anti-counseling or therapy. With that said, here's the reality. If we spent as much time talking to God about our relationships as we talk to therapists, counselors, friends, family, or whatever, I think we would see a lot more health and a lot more healing in those relationships. Because here's the thing. God can do something that your friend who you talk to about all the issues can't do. God can do something that your therapist or your counselor can't do. What God can do is he can reach into the heart of the person in your life and he can change them. He can reach into the heart of in your own heart 
and he can change you. So here, here is my challenge to you today. Whatever else, if you don't do anything else after this message, and I hope you do a several things after this message, but if you only take one thing, commit to praying for the people you love the most. And I know we're like, oh yeah, I know I do, I try. But in reality, how much do we, and how fervently do we really pray for those people? And, and it could be simple. So one of the things we've practiced uh, at different points is, and this may, if your work schedule it may not allow this, but, but one thing, and I actually had stopped and I was preparing this message and I didn't want to be a hypocrite, so I started again on Friday. And that is, I set an alarm in my phone for the time of the birthdays of my wife and my kids. So at 9.19 a.m., that's Laura's birthday, my wife. So if you want to get her a present, it's next Wednesday. So yeah. So, um, I probably should too. I need to figure that out. 9.19 a.m., pray for Laura. 9.30 a.m., pray for Adeline. Her birthday is September 30th. 10.20 a.m., it's a very busy hour for me. Uh, Judson, pray for Judson. 1.18 p.m., that's Olivia's birthday, our youngest daughter. Pray for, pray for Olivia. And it's a little simple reminder. And what I do is I just pause in that moment. And I pray. And it's pretty cool. When, when, when this was consistent and, and I'd be home, the alarm would go off and my kids would go, who are you praying for? Pray for me. You know? And, and I've been home with my wife. And at 12-12, my birthday, 12, December 12, goes off. And, and it, my wife's alarm goes off. And she says, it says, her phone says, pray for Dan. And if I'm home, she'll, she'll like just lay hands on me and she'll pray for me. It's amazing what those little things, that's not even a big thing. That's an investment, depending on how many kids and, and hopefully just one spouse that you have or whatever relationship you are in need of health and healing. It's amazing what that can do as you, as you sort of just invest those few minutes into it, let alone investing real time into it. Look at this passage from James chapter 5. Is anyone among you, James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in a its effect, and it gives the story of Elijah, who was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three and a half years it didn't rain, and he prayed and then it rained. Here's a small example of how this has worked in my life. Um, I gave a small example of practice, I'll give you a small example of fruitfulness. Um, when I was in college, I was growing like, like a weed, spiritually. I, just was, I was just starting to really get connected to the Lord in a way that I hadn't been, and I was starting to find it to be really important in my life, and I was starting to get really passionate about the Bible and knowing Jesus, and I, I just was, I couldn't get enough. And maybe you've had those spiritual seasons in your life, just, just growing like crazy. And I began to feel a burden for my, my grandpa, my, my dad's dad, who grew up Roman Catholic, um, but, but it didn't seem like it was a huge uh, uh, priority in his life until late in his life, uh, I can't remember exactly when, but he was probably in his 70s. And we were at an Easter service at our church, and uh, he responded to the invitation. But he still was sort of like, you know, he's, he's 70, 80 years old, and he's, you know, basically like a, like a baby Christian. 
And uh, I began to desire and, and have a burden for him to really love the Lord like I was learning to love the Lord. And, and it's my grandpa, right? I can't be like, yo, grandpa, you should, why aren't you reading your Bible? You know, it's like, so what I did, I just began to pray. And I was praying. I pray every day, Lord, just help grandpa to like get to know you better and to love you. And, um, and we started calling him Boppy partway. That's a whole other story. Pray for Boppy that he would, and, and I pray for him that he would love the Lord and he would know the Lord and he would trust the Lord. And uh, My grandma used to get up every morning and she would read her Bible every morning and then she passed away. And then after that, my grandpa took her old Bible and read it straight through like two or three times in his 80s, for the first time, started reading his Bible in his 80s. And I don't think it was simply because I prayed, but I'm certain that didn't hurt. If you invest in praying for the people that you care about the most, you will see God work. You will see God do things in their heart that you could never have imagined. And he'll also start doing things in your heart as well. Because you think they're the problem, when in reality, you know, it's probably you too. So let me just ask you to commit to praying, to try it. One aspect of one relationship to pray for every day for 30 days. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, so hold that thought. But number two, get God involved, part two, okay? So you need to talk to God about the people you love, but you also need to talk to the people you love about God. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. It's one of my favorite movies. I actually realized what a failure I am as a husband because when Laura and I started dating, we were supposed to watch it together because she'd never seen it. And I was writing this sermon, and I thought, oh, I'm going to use this illustration from the movie, and I realized she's still never seen it. So I plan to repent of that at some point. And there's this movie, and if you have, it's been out since 90, 1994, so I'm sorry if I'm ruining the ending for you. But there's a man named Andy, and he gets unjustly convicted of a crime he didn't commit. And he's in prison for decades. And through a series of circumstances, I won't give it all away, he gets out of prison. And his friends, who he's grown to be you know, really close with in this prison, there's a shot of them sitting around and talking. And his best friend in prison is played by Morgan Freeman. And Morgan Freeman is the narrator of the movie. And he says, those of us who knew Andy best talk about him often. Those of us who knew Andy best talk about him often. When you have a mutual friend and you see someone that you, they know someone and you know that someone and you get together, what do you inevitably end up talking about? You end up talking about your mutual friend. You know, oh, yeah. If you know the Lord and you have that in common with someone else, shouldn't you be talking about him often? Not because you have to, but that's because you do when you care about someone that someone else cares about as well. And here's the thing. It's not just that he's a mutual friend. He is a present friend there with you. Bring him into the conversation. Think about the, the stories of what he's done. Remember that time you told me, remember how you got that check in the mail just when you needed it? You didn't know how you were going to pay that bill and, this, and the Lord just provided for that? Or... Can you believe what God has done for us in Jesus, that he has sent his only son to, to be crucified, to be buried and raised from the dead? And, and can you believe grace is real, that we don't have to earn it, that, that God just loves us because of what Jesus has done? If, if one of the most practical things you can do in your relationships is to just commit to praying for the people you love, one of the, the second most practical things you can do is just commit to praying with the people you love. One of the things you can do is to, to make prayer like breathing in your home. 
um, when, when, when you're together and stuff, like sometimes in our family, and we don't have it all figured out, like we're far, like we do not have like the best marriage or family, like so I'm, if I'm using myself as an illustration, it's only because I need Jesus as much or more than anyone here. But we get, you know, we'll start getting snappy and the kids will be grumpy and they'll be disrespectful and we'll, you know, we'll get, we'll kind of kick it up a notch too. And it just like things start getting out of control. It's just like stressful. And sometimes in our better moments, we will stop and we'll say, hey, guys, we just need to pause and we just need to pray. And we'll say, Lord, we're really irritated right now and we really need you right now in Jesus name. Amen. And it's amazing what God will do. He will answer those prayers. He will step into that moment. And you realize you're not alone. You're not alone. It's not just you and your wife. It's not just you and your kids. It's not just you and your singleness and your feeling of loneliness. It's not just you and your friends. It is, you're not alone. God is with you. Jesus is with you. And he's there and he wants to step in. He wants to be a part of it. And he's, he's, wa- he's waiting. He's ready. Make prayer a habit like breathing in praying for and with the people you love. It is so not mind-blowing, the things that God has called us to do to really invest in the healing and the health of our relationships. Third, so you need to get God involved in two ways. Pray for the people you love, pray with the people you love, and third, get others involved. Get connected to community. You can't do this on your own. You can't do your family. You can't do it. You need, a, you get, it becomes this self-perpetuating cycle. And sometimes it's a good cycle, but other times it's a bad cycle. And you can't see, you can't see. You need other people to step in and to give you some perspective. The myth of both the Christian and the non-Christian view of the family in our culture is that you should prioritize your family so much that that's all that it's family. You know, blood is thicker than water. Whatever you say it, that there is this sense that our own nuclear biological family is what matters. Well, that is not what the Bible teaches us. Yes, the family is central and critical, but it shows in the scripture that we were designed for something even bigger than that. And that is what the the scripture calls the household or the family of God. The scripture calls Christians not just friends, but brothers and sisters. Notice that back in James it says, Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. You need the family of God involved in your life, involved in your relationships, involved in your marriage, involved in your parenting, involved in your singleness, involved in your friendships, involved in your neighborhood. You need others. And some of you, you might need to go to a counselor or you might need therapy. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. Sometimes you just need people who know you and who love you. Who know you and still love you. To cultivate friendships with people who, and and to open up your life. Now, here's the thing. You can have friends you know forever, and they never really know you because you never open it up. You never open up your heart. You never open up your life. Well, we envision a community here of people who can say to each other without shame, man, things are a little stressful at home right now. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've actually been kind of snapping at each other a little bit, and um, we just need, we just need some breathing room. And would you maybe be able to take the kids for the evening so we can go and get some time? Or 
where two men can say to each other, you know, there's this, there's this girl at work, and um, I, I've kind of felt a little attracted to her, and I'm, I'm catching myself sort of being a little overly flirtatious or, or maybe just feeling like I'm trying to do things to impress her, and man, I do not want this I do not want this to sabotage my marriage, and I do not want it to go somewhere where it should not go. And I just need you to be aware of that, and I need you to pray with me and walk with me through that because I, can't, I don't want to do that on my own. We envision a community where parents are like, I have no idea what to do with my kids. My kids are driving me crazy, and I don't know how to get them to, to, to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I, I am just feeling like a total failure. And I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. And I just don't know how. And people say, I don't know how either, but let's work on it together. We envision a community where people can honestly say, you know, I'm really lonely. It's really hard being single. It's really hard waiting on that person I believe God is going to bring into my life. It's really hard being a widow or a widower or being divorced. It's really, really hard. And I'm lonely. And I feel like everyone has a family except for me. And I could just use some friends. This is the baseline that God offers to us, that Jesus offers us when he says to love your neighbor, to invite God in and to invite others in into your relationships, into your marriage, into your parenting, into your singleness, into your friendships. Get God involved. Get others involved. In the next two weeks, we're going to spend uh, the next two weeks after this just unpacking some very practical practices for, for how to cultivate healthy relationships. Not because like I'm such an expert, but we're going to look at practical things from the Word of God and principles from the Bible about how to love your nearest neighbors, the people God has put in your life. And so I really hope you will join us for that uh, and grow in the healing and the health of your relationships. Sometimes uh, my wife ropes me into watching these shows like uh, Downton Abbey and uh, there's another one on BBC and PBS called Pole Dark. And now there's this other one she's got me watching with her. Now the worst part is I say she makes me watch it, but I actually really kind of enjoy them too. And, I'm like, and it's, called, it's, this, it's, this, uh, it's this British show called Lark Rise to Candleford. And it's about this little British hamlet outside of Oxford, which is connected to this other little town called Candleford. And it's about this girl named Laura who goes from Larkrise to Candleford, which is where they got the name of the show. And it's, uh, she's working in the post office. And it's about, you know, the, 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 the townsfolk kind of think they're better and they live in, like, you know, nicer houses and have nicer clothes. And then the people in Larkrise are more, like, working class and, you know, they're farmers or tradesmen. And, and there's this one episode we watched recently and they're preparing for harvest in Larkrise. And it's like, if they don't get the harvest done and you have to have your members of your family follow the reapers and it's like like the book of ruth almost like they're they're getting all the grain so they can have bread for the winter but the problem is there's this epidemic of measles that hits right at that the first day of harvest every kid in lark rise gets gets the measles and you know all the moms are having instead of being out in the field uh are having to be home taking care of their sick kids and 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 there's there's this scene where the, the main character, Laura, her dad in the, in the show, his name is Robert Timmons, goes into the town square and he says, we need to work together. If we don't work together, if we, if we try to handle this alone, we are going to watch our families die and we're going to watch our neighbors starve. We will either work together 
or we will die. So, and, 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 and then they go into the city of, of Candleford and they say, uh, 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 one of the visitors says, will you help these people of, of Lark Rise? Will you help? And they go and there's this scene and it's like we're all crying, watching. They're all sh- show up to help with the harvest and to nurse these sick kids because either we work together or we die. You need, you need each other. We need each other. We need to get God involved and we need to get other people involved. We need the community of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we need the community of the church of God involved in our lives and in our relationships. This is how God has designed it. So on that card you have there on your, um, on your seat that you saw there, I want to challenge you to take a next step. And whether you filled out a connection card before or not, if you've already filled one out, you don't have to put all your information, but just put your name. And I want you to take a next step and one of two ways or both. The first way is this. Say, I will get God involved. Now, in some ways, that's bad theology to say it that way because God's already involved, right? You're not inviting him into something he's not already doing. You're just acknowledging that he's already present and working in your relationships and you're submitting to his lordship. I want to get God involved in my relationships. I want to talk to God about the people I love and I want to talk to the people I love about God. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to just check that off and I want you to write some small way you plan to do that over the next 30 days or even just let's start with the next week. So maybe that's setting that timer like I said. Maybe that's you're going to Uh, spend a few minutes in the morning praying. Maybe you're going to have a time of prayer with your kids before they go to bed. Whatever it is, it's between you and God. It's not between you and me. But take that and check that off uh, and then drop that in the box on the way back so so that you can say to the Lord, I want you involved in my relationships. The second thing is to take a step to get connected to community. You know, sometimes we think the, the best way to get connected to other people is just by being around them, which is true. But you actually get connected to other people best when you're both trying to accomplish a common goal. We talked about this last week. You build friendships when you are intent on a common purpose. And so I just want to challenge you, not just because we want people to help with the church, but because serving is the best way to grow spiritually and to form relationships. It really is. It is the best way to grow spiritually and to form relationships, getting your family involved in that. So just if you're feeling called to that, to check that off and to get connected to community. Get God involved and get others involved. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in this new church. Thank you for Jesus and for the gospel. Thank you for your call to love our neighbor as ourself. And we pray that we would faithfully love our nearest neighbors who you've put in our lives. And we would be bold and humble enough to open up our real selves and real lives to each other. That you would make this a community that loves one another, that, know, that actually knows one another and still loves each other. That's special, Lord. Only you can do that. Only you do that fully. You know us fully and love us anyway. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.